The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, Mike. New Year means <clears throat> Winter uh, Classic today. World Juniors are going on. And we take our first real look at the back half of the season and into the, that magical part of the year that starts with the word P and ends with a whole lot of excitement and heartbreak. But we're not going to get quite that far with our questions today. A um, bunch of stories to talk to. Unfortunately, I want to start everything off on a down note. Um, a tweet came out earlier today. Uh, Chris Letang's father has passed in the last 24 hours. Um, so while he was ruled out for injury today, uh, he's already headed back home to be with his family. Um, condolences to the entire Latang family, their friends' family. Um, and I hope uh, everyone gets through this as best they can. Wow. That, I, yeah, didn't, I, I didn't even see that, that this that morning. morning. Um, it's... <sighs> It's one of those things both of us have faced, and it's yes. Even when you know it's coming, it still hits like a truck. I agree. I, I mean, my my father's was somewhat of a surprise based on the situation. So I I I, I feel for Chris. I don't know. We obviously don't know the particulars. We don't know if he was expecting this, but it's never easy and. Yeah, my heart, our our condolences to him and his family. And I don't even, I, yeah, I, okay, we need to move on to something happier, but yeah, I, I feel sorry for him. Do we want to look at your second half questions first? My second half questions first? Some of the other stories? Um... Well, they're all kind of questions for today. So we could, we, I mean, we could very quickly just mention um, Bruins prospect Mac, Matthew Poitras. Yes. Uh, if we're going to start ramping it up a little bit here. Uh, Matthew Poitras, uh, Boston Bruins draft pick. Pretty sure he's a center. But as we yes, said. Yes, he's a center. 90% chance. Oh, 100%. There we go. Doesn't have many goals in the OHL, but got himself a hat trick the other day. Um, he was also named the OHL Performer of the Night for December 28th. Um, three goals uh, on the night, uh, powering uh, the team to a 5-3 win uh, in Windsor. Um, he plays for Golf Storm. You get a chance to if you get a chance to take a look at him, um, he's got some skill. I saw him at Dev Camp this year. Um, I hate making comparisons of young players to guys who probably deserve to have their jersey raised. Yeah, um, well, yeah we already had that once with uh, 2.0. So That said, if I was going to compare Poitras to any Bruin in recent memory, uh, he's definitely faster. Um, I, I suspect that he leans more towards being a playmaker. Um, but he makes, he makes his, he makes a lot of plays with his feet, um, as well as with his passing in some ways. And 
I am not saying he is 2.0. Um, <laughs> JFK. I am not saying he's 2.0. He does kind of remind me a little bit of Krejci. I can see that. I mean, size comparison fits. Um, based on what I have seen of him and, and his style of game, Again, like you said, I'm not going to name him Krejci 2.0. Poor JFK got the moniker of moniker of, of Bergeron 2.0, and I don't think that and ever they helped. Have him. Traded him immediately as soon as the media got buy-in, because they would have gotten at least what they at least what they uh, spent on drafting him instead of the hot mess that he turned out to be. Yes, based on the stats that I'm looking at for Mr. Poitras. Yep. Uh, this season, more so than last, I mean, he's got 38 points in in 30 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a 1.27 points per game player. Last year, he was a .74. He's already matched last season's assist total. Uh, he's more of a, I just get the impression he's more, and based on what I've seen, he's more of a distributor than he is a goal scorer. I mean, he can put the puck in the net. It's, oh, absolutely. He has the ability. He just seems to be more of a... a He's, he's more of a distributor. Equal opportunity, yeah. Um, um, and, and that, again, point. puts him in the Krejci. Krejci can score goals, but he's more of a distributor, more of a passer. And the important part about that uh, matching last week, last year's assist total, last year in it took him 68 games to pile up 29 assists. Um, this year he's done it in 30 games. Um, and that's that, to me, is a pretty big thing. Um Growing that much, not just points per game, without really destroying or without really or I guess he's zeroing in on an identity. I mean, 21 goals in you don't accidentally score 21 goals in any league. Um, That's still that's still a goal every I mean, that's still a goal every three games, roughly, for what he did last season. And if you could do that at the NHL level, you'd never be out of work. I don't think anybody's going to complain if you can somehow pot 30 plus goals every year, because if you're looking at 80 some odd games, yeah. goal every three games, you're 30 plus. You're somewhere between 30 and 40. I mean, you're yeah, around, I, yeah 34 goals a, a season. I don't think anybody's complaining about that. You're basically going to have to light up a crack pipe on the bench in order for people to get mad at you. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, small sample size. And yes, it's the OHL, but small sample size in the playoffs. I mean, five goal, uh, five point, four points in five playoff games. Again, and he, it's not like he doesn't shoot. He, he fourteen shots on goal. It's not a huge number. I think the comparison is fair for him to Krejci, without going overboard. Yeah, I mean, if you really, really, really want to, I'd love to know what his face on. Triangulate a little bit more aggressively you could make a venn diagram that it, that where you put him 65 percent uh, towards david Krejci, and i will have to see a little bit more evidence for this itself but a little bit more towards chris kelly as well or maybe even a a uh, ryan peverly type um because he's more uh, it, like his speed is a big factor um I'm not saying he's going to turn into a top 5% speed in the NHL player. Um, I think that some players in junior who rely on their speed a lot and in college, uh, particularly hockey East colleges, um, 
get to the NHL and discover that they're no longer the fastest guy or the second fastest guy in every game and never adjust to it. Um, but I am very, very interested to see where this kid uh, is in a year in two seasons. There are, if just to put a little bow on it, if there are two places of improvement I'd like to see for him, the first one is I'd like to see a couple of more shots on goal per game because right now he's averaging under two. He's at 1.94 shots per game, and that's over the two seasons, last year and this year. Uh, the other thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see him actually sit down with Bergeron and up the uh, face-off percentage because right now he's currently sitting at 50.2. 50.2, I'll take it. I, I mean, obviously you can improve in that. But I'm not saying he has to be. I'm not saying he has to be 65 percent. But if he could bump that up to say 54, 55, 56, somewhere in that range. He's again. He's 170 pounds, and <laughs> in the OHL, you're playing. There are some overagers who you're playing with who are legitimately not only two or three years older than you, with maybe 200, 150 more games played than you. Okay. But they outweigh you 20 pounds too. Okay. I mean, there are lots. There are lots of centers in the NHL who never got to fifty percent uh, in juniors. Okay, I just said I'd like to see it. I didn't say it had to be done. I mean, fifty point two oh, is not terrible. Shoot, but like, I just want. I just want him to round out. Uh, just keep building. I, I don't have a particular focus at this point. Um. Other stuff. Um, you gave yes. a really, really short answer to this question. Short answer. Ooh, I like those. Um, and we will probably be talking about uh, the question that came out of this in the pre-show um, over the summer. Um, Jamie Ben is now in second place all-time for sc- uh, goal scored for the Dallas Stars, well, Dallas Stars slash uh, Minnesota North Stars franchise. Um, at 343, just eclipsing Brian Bellows, Dino uh, Ciccarelli, and uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of years, probably a year or so back, having passed Neil Broughton. I mean, there's nothing. There's congratulations to him. Second on the second on a list. With names that are on this list is is nothing to sneeze at. Dino Cicerelli was fun to watch. He played a lot of time in in Washington as well. Neil Broughton. I mean, even if you look toward the bottom of the list, you got Yerry Lettinen who played. I mean, Brian Bellows. It, it's a it's a decent list. Plus, his teammate Tyler Sagan is on this list. But, but, at almost thirty four years old. It's a the question I asked is can Jamie Ben catch Mike Madano? Mike Madano's at five hundred and fifty seven. Jamie Ben as of the time of this tweet, three hundred and forty three. That's a lot more hockey to play. I'm thinking two hundred and fourteen goals is a lot of goals. It, 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 if you put him at say 150 or 125, I'd say mm, there's a chance. And but. just just for the sake of illuminating the non-Dallas fans, 
he hasn't had a 20 goal season since the 018, the 1819 season. Now, yes, the 1920 season that was shortened as it was 2021, but he had all, he had all 82 games last year, only got to 18 goals. Yes. This season definitely looks better at 38 goal games. He's still at, he's at 15, 15 goals. So, at that pace, he might actually crack 30 again for the first time since 1718. But he would need like five more 20 and 30 goal seasons, uh, or 30 or so goal seasons, in order to hit that 214. Is Jamie Ben going to play until he's 39? It appears that one of his more recent additions as a teammate. Might just aim for, might just be aiming for that number, um, as he's yeah. gotten an extension. I, I, I and, and the extension was a surprise to me this morning. Uh, <laughs> Is it though? I mean, when you look at the it's, resurgence he has had since landing there. Yeah, that's. I mean, he was just under a point per game last season at like 36 and change. He is one point under a point per game this season, and he's already 38 years old. Uh, I mean, at this point, Joe Pavelski can keep playing for another three years. I I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, we've got our own uh, we've got our own fountain of youth player here in Boston. I think you've got at least two of them, because as much as as much as we've made fun of David Krejci over the years for being slow as they come, he's looked faster in the last two or three seasons he played in Boston than he did in the previous five. Joe Pavelski, 37 points, 38 games. Mm. I can see why they offered him the extension. They did, but it, Joe Pavelski got an extension from from the, the Dallas Stars. I believe it was just a one year through the twenty three twenty four season. Yes. But then again, being a thirty being a thirty five plus, I think you can only do one and two year deals, you, if I'm not mistaken. Uh yes, and he is another member of that two thousand three draft class. Uh, <laughs> Shock. <laughs> Uh, he is fourth in he's actually fourth in scoring uh, for that draft class. Um, Bergeron is third with <clears throat> seven point and seven points behind Getzlaff. Um and thirty two points behind Stahl. Um I I I sometimes wonder if Eric Stahl didn't come back just to see if he can stave off Bergeron. I know he loves hockey. <laughs> really? Do you really think? Do you really feel that they think that way? Uh, okay, let's let me put it this way: Who has the better case for a Hall of Fame career, Eric Stahl or Patrice Bergeron? Patrice Bergeron. If Eric Stahl is the number one scorer from his draft class or not the number one scorer from possibly the greatest draft class uh, ever, certainly the greatest draft class in the last 25 years, does he have a better or weaker case? Pretty sure it's ever, but 
I, I don't know. Is that going to really sway votes? Well, you know, this this one guy over here, he's the best two-way player this game has ever seen. This guy over here, he's really good as well. And he's number one in scoring on his draft. I mean, is that it's is that something that's going to swing votes? It's weight on the scale. I mean, this draft class, we don't need to do we don't need to go that deep into it. But this is the draft class that has Ryan Getzlaff, Patrice Bergeron, Eric Stahl, Joe Pavelski, Corey Perry, Zach Parisi, Jeff Carter, Brent Burns, Thomas Vanek, Dustin Brown, Brian uh, Ryan Suter, Louis Erickson, Shane Say Weber, Ryan Kessler, David Backus, Dustin Buffum, <laughs> Dion. Phenof, Mike Richards, Lee Stepniak, Brent Seabrook, Milan Mahalik, uh, and whoever the Rangers picked at twenty-two. Literally, any of these dudes, <laughs> if you're playing a team and they're anywhere near the peak of their their skill, the peak of their fitness, their ability in the game, you're picking this guy. You're <clears throat> you're adding Thomas Vanek. You're adding Brent Burns. You're adding Ryan Kessler. Do some of them have holes in their games? Absolutely. They're yeah, well, all difference makers. Like, you pull, you go back and say... Well, Vanek was a Bruins killer. I mean... He was a legit Bruins killer. But <laughs> you, if, if you made a team out of these guys and pick your goaltender, like, find and, 22... Find 18 skaters at, from this draft class and pick your goaltender... The year is 2011. This team is beating any other team in the NHL. Uh, it's well, not even a question. And they had nine rounds in 2003. Are you? I mean, when you stop and think about draft classes, the last the last round of the draft is you might get one, maybe two. Round nine of this draft class had eight players who played. Over 150 games in the NHL. And Joe Pavelski was seventh round pick, and he's still going at almost 39 years old with a contract to take him to the big borough. Yarrow Halak was a ninth round pick. You like you could use Yarrow Halak with the top 18 skaters of your choice from this draft class and win cups. Brian Elliott was second to last pick in the draft. He played. He's he's still playing. Twenty two, twenty three. As is Yarrow Halag. <laughs> and that's like this whole draft class is utterly bonkers. There's no way you can find another draft class that, like this one. Like anyone, who, literally anyone who thinks that they can name a better draft class in the last fifty years. We will make a special episode, and we will discuss it point by point, player by player, career by career, if you want to come on. That is my guarantee to you. We will make it a special episode. You and we will discuss it and go at it. Oh, here, I'm going to give you one more just because I know you like this guy. Eighth round, 245th overall, Dustin Bufflin. (laughs) Eighth round. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and so and so we have to move on. But wow, and so a dozen to... players from this draft who have played more than a thousand games. But does that mean? I mean, I guess the, I guess the 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 class. I guess the, the... okay. No. Mark Andre Fleury was in this draft. 
Well, he was the first overall, yeah. He's a he's, goaltender who is eight games away from playing a thousand games. <laughs> I don't know of another goaltender in the last few years who I'm sure off the top of my head actually played a thousand NHL games. This class is bonkers. 38 games away. Anyways, I, I, back to the actual topics of the show today. So, yeah, but, we started with, can Jamie Benn unseat Mike Madonna? Yes or I no? Don't, I don't. That's not going to happen. I honestly, I I'd love to, I'd love to see him get, cl- I'd love to see him get there, but I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen. Now, at some point, I thought I heard one of the announcers in in a Bruins game say that Patrice Bergeron had pulled into third place all-time scoring for the Boston Bruins alone. Uh, the numbers don't seem to indicate that right now. It looks like he is actually tied for third place all-time. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's moved past Esposito yet. I think he tied him I, in the last game. I think game. he actually had an assist taken away. Um, I really, really think that that's the case. Um, but either way, as we were discussing, ridiculous draft class, and there's no signs of this man slowing down. He is going to be – He's another one of those July birthdays in this class. We were just talking about Joe Pavelski, Jamie Benn, uh, or and a couple of others. Mm-hmm. 30 points, 36 games, and that's after a slow start. And then he sort of kind of had a lull for about four or five games. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still at, what is he, 37, 38, 37 years old? Yes. He's still on pace to cross 30 goals again. Yeah. On pace for his, what, sixth 30 goal season? Yeah, I think he's on pace for his sixth Selkie Award, too. I don't know how much the NHL is going to be excited to give it to him, but. Um, the NHL doesn't care as much about the Selkie as it does some of the other awards. Plain and simple, which is unfortunate because. As we're going to talk about with another player uh, who's in the in the list, I think the diversity, I think attracting and promoting the diversity of skills and abilities and body sizes um, is really really key to the NHL's growth and maintenance of audience. Um, I think they should care more about the award because they're going to have to rename it at some point. I mean, even Keith Yandel said it. Come on. I, I, as much as I would love for it to be renamed in his honor, I don't care that much if it's renamed in his honor. Because he's still going to be, in my very humble opinion, as the president and chief ankle breaker of the Patrice Bergeron fan club, um, the best two-way player in league history. He is. He is already. I mean... Not not when he finishes. He is now. And I say that with all due respect to guys like Miku Koivu, who never got the props that he deserved, to True. Ryan Kessler, who didn't ever get the respect that he deserved, True. to Pavel Datsuk, who got a lot of respect and earned every every tiny erg and gram of it. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll I'll go with that. Yep. Even to guys like uh, PJ Axelson and Brian Ralston, who played the game the right way. And by that, I 100% mean attention to detail, effort, every moment of the shift. Um, let's see. I mean, okay, so he gets he gets third place. He's tied. He's tied with. He's tied with Espo. Uh, at some point, yes, he's going to pass him. The I don't two think he's na- making it any higher. The two names ahead of him, I do believe, are. And I don't ever want to use the phrase "out of reach," but I think in this case it might apply. <laughs> Even as well as Bergeron is playing these days, you would have to play for what another five years. I mean, 327 points between him and Busick. And, and it's what, 500-something? 500, 500 it's, like, it's it's almost 400. It's 480-something points to Bork. Um, I think the one that's actually – I think the next record that's two records that are actually in realm – in the realm of things for him are probably um, – I think if he plays this season and one more at the pace he's currently going, he can pass Esposito for goals and take over second. He's at 415 today. Esposito's at 459, so we would need 45 more goals. That's not. That's really not uh, outside of. He could do that next season. Yeah, he could do that by the end of next season. It's yeah. not really a stretch. Um, in terms of assists. This he's only 27 assists away from catching. No, I'm sorry. Uh, 24 and three. Yeah, 27 assists away from catching Bobby Orr for third in assists. Okay. I think he can do that this season. Wow. I think that's I think that's an achievable mark. I think any way you slice it, this guy is a number in the rafters. B going to the Hall of Fame. C uh, should be immortalized somewhere on a Mount Rushmore. <laughs> uh, I mean, Not necessarily ask- in that order. <laughs> I mean, if you're asking me who my Boston Bruins Mount Rushmore is, I don't know that I think I'm going to tick some people off, but it's probably Bork, Bergeron, Schmidt, and or you have yeah as much as you got guys like Espo and, and Esposito you know didn't play I mean, his whole career I think Johnny Busick off of that off of that shrine it is it's really hard to leave some of the goaltenders who have played here off of that shrine we know I'm a Tim we know I'm a huge Tim Thomas fan. <laughs> no 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 arguments here I I, I, I believe it um, so I, I do think that Patrice Bergeron can catch, can get to second place in goals by the end of next season. Um, if you know, and assists this season and assists the end of this season. Okay. Um, I would love to see it like literally love to see it because Patrice Bergeron has been my guy basically since he was drafted. 
you were talking about Brad Boys that season, and I and people were talking about some of the other rookies that year. And I watched him in two of the exposition games, and I said, "That's my guy. That's the next guy." Hey, anybody who can ride on a Zamboni with Ray, with Andrew Raycroft. <laughs> Uh, I guess oh, yeah. I guess you have other, to give it to him. One other record that he, one other place he can climb. Uh, he is one goal behind Cam Neely for uh, power play goals for fourth place. <laughs> um, he is. Who's in third though? Uh, Esposito's in third at one fifty. That's ah, it's that damn Esposito again. <laughs> well, that's still twenty-two goals ahead of him. Um, Patrice Bergeron has remained tied for fifth place with shorthanded goals for a while with Jerry Tapazzini and Phil Esposito. So one more goal See? to come up to fourth place with Don Marcotte. Um, he is also tied for second with you-know-who <laughs> in game-winning goals. Uh, what is with this guy? He He's down <laughs> in Tampa Bay, can't we... It's actually hilarious, um, honestly. Um, and what was the other one? I'm curious as to where Marchand is on that shorthanded goals list. Oh, he leads, he leads the shorthanded goal list. He's uh, that's fine. ahead of Rick Middleton. 50. And nine ahead of uh, Derek Sanderson. Nifty, who was one of my favorites as well. Um. We can. I, I'm telling you though, we can do a whole show on Bergeron if you want. But Bergeron for 90 minutes. That's what I just said. We can do a whole show on him if you want, but I really think we need to move on. <laughs> um, for those of you wondering why there's been so many teams tanking and why another team may add themselves to the list um, that we're going to talk about a little later in the show, two of us were looking at the World Junior stats a few minutes ago um, and. There's this guy who you have undoubtedly heard of named Connor Bedard. I have no idea. Actor? Uh, he's actually a songwriter. Oh, okay. Yes. Cool. Um, and he has written the he has written the dramatic theme music for this year's World Juniors. Oh, has he really? I, pretty much for all time World Juniors, um, because in terms of points per game. Number three on this list is this guy who played in the 77-78 season, also on Team Canada. In six games, he had 17 points for a 2.83 points per game. Pretty reasonable. Phil Esposito? Uh, That would be this guy, Gretzky. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty reasonable player. Um, In second place is this guy from a country that no longer exists. A right wing. Um, he was 17 years old, playing for uh, their U20 season, uh, U20 team. Seven games, 18 points for 2.57 goals per game. He's played on many teams in the NHL. Owns a team in his homeland. Um, and there's a group of fans who used to travel dressed up as him. Uh, Wait, various is, games. Is this the one who actually goes searching for defensemen on on Twitter? Yes, Mr. Yaramir Yager. <laughs> that was that's still one of my favorite tweets all time. It's legitimately awesome. So in first place in 
inspiring what I what I will use as a hashtag for the rest of the season. Okay. Uh, is this kid who um, inspire is inspiring teams to crater, not merely tank, but crater. Um, 17 years old, playing for Canada. In four games, he has 18 points, including six goals, 12 assists. For yes, uh, for those of you who are math slow and or math deficient or just too lazy to do it right now, 4.5 points per game. The one, the only, Connor Bedard. Just... Yes, I said that number correctly. Four point no, no, no. five points per game. I just wanted to, I just wanted to add a comparison because the last guy that everybody was tanking for, cratering for, melting for, because we have, you know, crater for Bedard or whatever it is. We have melting sure. melting for McDavid. Connor so McDavid. The other the other Connor. Connor McDavid in 2014-15 had 11 points in seven years, a 1.57 points per game. Good enough for 14th on this list. Actually, it would have been 13th at the time. But go ahead. 13th, 14th. I mean, yeah, there's three of them tied, four of them tied at that same at that same points per game. Oh, no, no, no. Connor Bedard wasn't on there. But, yeah, go ahead. Oh, good point. Yes. Okay, so he would have been thirteenth, tied for 13th or whatever. Yeah. And this kid has four and a half points per game. Three times uh, the points per game. Not only more points in less games, but more assists than Connor McDavid had in almost a full tournament. Yes. This is, this so is gonna- utterly ridiculous. So I'm guessing this kid's pretty good. That's been my hunch. Um, and there are rumors in the Twitter sphere that uh, that maybe there's going to be a party uh, wherever it is that drafts him. There's going to be a party? Oh, I like parties. Yes, it's going to be on Jump Street. I mean, the, the, the hilarious thing is you look at this list and I guess maybe we we can say that this list is not proof of future results. You know how they it's have that proof of future results, but they have the, that that everybody discla- on this list played in the NHL for a reasonable amount of time. They had that they have that disclaimer on the thing, you know, future. You know, but number five on the list, Edmonton's trying to get rid of him. Jesse Puljujarvi so desperate for Edmonton is a hot mess, like. Well, yeah, they're they're slowly falling out of play. Yeah, that that's another discussion for another time. But I mean, you got Sidney Crosby is at nineteenth on this list. Yes. So is Connor? I, I, I guess the other question would be: Is Connor Bedard peaking too soon? Is this the is this possibly the the Hobie Baker curse? That may be the most interesting question. Uh, about Connor uh, Connor Bedard asked this year. Now, I personally think that Shane Wright, who was drafted last year and fell several spots to Seattle, was over scrutinized for several years, mm-hmm. and that's that contributed more to his slide 
than anything else. Um, I don't know because one of the most fascinating things about this tournament this year is where there was the August tournament that was canceled earlier this year uh, or because of COVID and then the resumption. There's more returning players than usual, which mostly benefits the better teams. So you can say off that you can say, yes, the teams are a little more coherent, cohesive than they had been in the past, uh, in a normal season, which both, which I guess you can make the argument either way. I mean, if you're playing as a team, it may or may not benefit you. If you're, playing for individual talents, which Canada has been accused of a couple of times by the very, very Canadian uh, broadcast teams. The very um, Canadian, okay. Then maybe it's just him showing off? I don't think so. Um, he's not... I mean, you stop him... Everything I've seen of him shows me that this is this is legit. I mean, last year, his first full season in the in the O and the WHO, fifty one goals, forty nine assists, a hundred points in sixty two games. This year, twenty eight games, twenty seven twenty seven goals, thirty seven assists, sixty four points. I mean, his pims are going up. He's also gone from an even plus minus to a plus 14 through the first 28, which all by itself is an interesting metric um, because it's mm, tied for the highest on his team. Um, Okay. Bateman is the other guy, uh, a defenseman, uh, an overage defenseman who is pretty G darn uh, large. And uh, teams should probably be really taking a second look at him since they clearly passed on him in his first draft eligible season. Um, Although I don't see the offensive numbers that teams tend to get excited about, but at 6'6 and 224. uh, (laughs) There's some numbers to get excited about. Uh, I uh, I would still pay attention and invite him to a camp or two. I mean, isn't Tage Thompson like 6'5"? Um, I hear everything from six five to six seven for Tage Thompson, and it's kind of hilarious because he's just dude, kind of big, though. Because dude is larger than life at this point, and yes. we are absolutely going to talk about him in a couple of minutes. Oh, I know. I'm looking uh, at the I'm looking at the list of I'm looking at the list of teams that are trying to tank or crater for said I Connor mean, Bedard, and I'm thinking that somebody is uh, who's the GM. Uh, you know what? If I'm Chicago or Columbus, mm-hmm. actually, if I'm Chicago and I legitimately can make it to through the uh, the draft uh, or the the ping pong ball selection of first overall, and I still have Jonathan Taze on my roster, yes, I'm signing him for another year or two. 
And I don't care at what dollar value. See, in my opinion, I think Chuck Fletcher is in John Tortorella's ear telling him he's not tanking hard enough. That's (laughs) and and all I and all I can see is John Tortorella going, "I don't tank." (laughs) That's certainly possible, but looking at the Chicago Blackhawks, yeah. Looking at the huge uh, the way the, the league is constructed. I mean, I do like the idea of keeping Taze around just to be a mentor for yeah. this young man. I need better mentors as a high draft pick on an original six team who's been there and done that multiple cops can you name in the league? Uh I really can't. None. I, I, I mean, obviously the obviously the guy we just finished talking about. But even Bergeron wasn't a high draft pick, and True. there were superstars here when he got here. Like, yeah. I mean, Joe Thornton was still here. You had the seven hundred pound line. You had. I, I mean, you had a couple of rough years when you had, you know, a, but. But it's still the pressures of an original six team. I mean, Boston Bruins fan base, whether you like them or don't like them or what, I mean, still a passionate fan base. I mean, rightly or wrongly, rightly or wrongly, the fan base is still entirely capable of eating you alive. Yes. So I I think that there is something to be said for that. He wasn't a high draft pick. You're right. He was 37th overall, second round, blah, blah, blah. But the career that he has unfolded in front of us dictates that he has to be (laughs) somewhat of a mentor. Yeah, he's just short of bulletproof when it comes to having weathered all the emotional vagaries of an NHL career and how to and it's how to handle himself off the ice as well as on you listen to Bergeron when he does interviews nothing but class I mean when he sat down and talked to Yandel and the guys on after that TNT game I mean and he doesn't ever duck a question nope so I think that there are others but yes Captain Sirius is certainly one I'd one I'd put in that group. So if they do win the lottery and they get this kid, they should somehow keep Taze around, get him to agree to some short term money, whatever it is, but I don't care. Find a way to keep him around and, and mentor this kid. Absolutely. Um and for those wondering at home who don't necessarily want to go searching for the stats, right now in last place Chicago, second to last Columbus. Anaheim right there with them. I didn't uh, say any second. Oh, they're tied, so depends on. Uh, I'm talking by points. Um, yeah, because I'm looking at the list. And, San Jose and then Philadelphia in fifth. The draft lottery uh, for the uh, goes through like the fifth spot, so the lowest. But you, the maximum places you can move up is two, or is it three? I thought it was three. So San Jose, as of right now, is the lowest team that could theoretically draft number one, assuming they have their first round pick. Um, And I don't remember if they do. Uh, Chicago, I know, has theirs. And they also have Tampa's. Um, But we'll do a actual has San Jose does indeed have their first round pick. I'd be surprised to find any 
teams that are that low on the list points wise that don't have their first round pick? Um, I uh, Columbus indeed also has their second round pick, uh, their first round pick rather. Uh, Anaheim might not. Um, Anaheim does indeed have their first round pick. So I think along with three second rounders. (laughs) Yeah. Including Boston's. Yep. It's that hamp. It was that Hampus Lindholm deal, if I'm not mistaken, which I, which, which I do not necessarily mind. Uh, Hampus Lindholm for a second round. Let's see. Yes. We traded John Moore, Erho Vakaninen and a second round pick for Hampus Lindholm. Oh, and the second round pick next year, 24. So yeah, I'm not that that I'm not I'm complaining not about that deal. I'm not crying over that deal. Nope. Um, so let's jump into our questions. Or actually, Ovi, the Ovi watch is uh, ever fascinating. I don't know how you could skip Ovi. Come on now. Alex Ovechkin in the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of player hundred plus year history of the NHL has become just the sixth player six to have 30 uh, have three or 30 or more hat tricks just those hat tricks is more goals than a lot of guys ever get in their entire career what what number is he at now 80 mind boggling is it 804 or something like that? I mean, seriously, at this point. <laughs> it, like, given how stingy the goaltending has been for mm-hmm. almost all of his career, the fact that he is now at 806 goal t- goals oh, in the six. NHL. I, I was shorting him a couple. I thought he was at 804. Six goals. And still playing at over a point per game hockey. 45 and 39 this year, 90 and 77 last year. So, so what are the chances he makes it to 895? Um, <laughs> pretty high. I mean, conservatively speaking, I would have to put it at least like 75, 80%. And wow. yes, I think that's a conservative number. Wow. You're really in 80 percent. You're you're undercutting it now. I, I, and again, I I'm the person who asked the question: Will Alex Ovechkin stick around long enough to hit a thousand goals? Well, he's he's on pace for what another fifty plus goal season this year. Um, twenty. He's on he's pace on for pace what fifty two, fifty four goals. He's got 26 through 39. Um, I don't believe he's been injured or suspended at all this year. So, yeah, call that 50 uh, with a slump somewhere. Call it 60 with a hot run. So if you put him, if you put him at the end of the season, somewhere in the neighborhood of, I mean, it, it, 806, say, say he scores another 24, that puts him at 830. 830, yeah. 65, 65 goals. He needs another what season and a half, maybe season and a quarter. Beyond this, yeah. Which puts him at? I mean, he's at what thirty eight now, so that puts him at oh, he's thirty seven. Turns he just turned thirty seven in September, so 
I mean, he could conceivably do it before he hits 40. Yep. I'm going to go with, I'm going to take the over on your 80%. I'm going to say he's going to make it. So I'll take the over on that 80%. So to get to the 894, so 24 more rolls this year would leave him at 830. Yep. Then he needs 65 to pass Gretzky. Gretzky's at what, 894? Even if he's averages 32 goals the la- the second two seasons, he's still going to do it in two more years. The next. Have you seen evidence that he's only going to score 32 goals? No. <laughs> okay, then. Thank you. I mean, it, I understand being conservative, but wow, that's really you. You are really hedging your bets here. <laughs> I'm not hedging my bets. I'm just trying not to sound like a drooling fanboy. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um. Okay, we have questions. Um, I'm going to start off with a softball. Softball, okay. Softball. Uh, these are our questions for the second half of the NHL season. We're not that we're not quite going all the way to the postseason, um, but some of them, uh, most of the questions will have postseason implications. Okay. How much of a mess is St. Louis right now? <laughs> Are there degrees? Uh, do I have an op? Do I have choices? I mean, okay, so we'll start with hot mess being the lowest criteria right now. Okay. Um, we'll call it a garbage fire as the next tier, a tire fire as the tier above that, and then a nuclear tire fire. Uh, as the top tier of the four tier pyramid that we're going to use today. So which one's the worst? Hot mess. Uh, hot mess is the least bad. A oh, least bad. Tire okay. fire would so, be the worst. So nuclear tire fire is the worst bad. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with nuclear tire fire. <laughs> I'll take that for two hundred. <laughs> um, no, the, the, <sighs> they're not quite that bad. Well, aren't you nice? Have you seen, as you pointed out? Because the West is a hot mess anyways. Like, that's the... That's not fair. You can't use squishiness as a defense. Yeah. It's it's not a defense. It's a fact of life. You absolutely cannot use it as a defense, whether it's a fact or not. (laughs) At, At this point, they're only four points out of a playoff spot. Okay, and they just placed two key guys... Yes, on injured reserve. Their top uh, four goal scorers on injured reserve. Two key guys, arguably their own. But here's the thing. Selkie Award winner. Here's the thing. Based on performance to date, they probably weren't making the playoffs. So they're not making the playoffs as fourth in the wild card spot. But they're also well, not seventh in the wild card spot. Not really much of a difference, because I think with the guys on the ice, down the stretch, they can probably still stay with Nashville and Vancouver. Can a coach get fired for being just good enough to not win the Connor Bedard lottery? But they're not bad enough to win the Connor Bedard lottery. They're not even bad enough to enter into it. Unless they somehow find a way to blow up the team, and I mean blow up the team, 
drop okay. down to the salary cap floor or take bad contracts for good players uh, in order to get there. Mm-hmm. There's no way they're going to be lottery. Uh, they're not. They're going to be bad enough at the end of the season to be compete to make Chicago and Columbus nervous about their odds for winning the lottery and drafting first. Yes, they have twenty seven and a half million uh, on some variety of injured reserve, um, but they don't have anyone buried. Uh, they have they actually do have the cap space to take on bad contracts if they want to move people out but I yes, don't but know they, that they they have Jordan Bennington in net which is all the argument I need yeah but even he hasn't kept them from snipping the playoffs but I don't know that Doug Armstrong actually has the has the ability to go ahead and push the magical uh, magical button that says we're going to rebuild? Well, I don't think he can do that anyway because every player I look at on this roster looks like they were signed by Peter Chiarelli. No trade clause, no moot, no trade clause, modified no trade clause, no trade clause. Oh, look, there's three defensemen, no trade clauses. Uh, Bennington, no trade clause. Tarasenko, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly actually doesn't have a no-trade clause. You could trade Ryan O'Reilly if you wanted. Bennington's play all by itself is a no-trade clause. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't understand that. Yes, he won a Stanley Cup. Great. Actually, I think it was more Tuka Rast lost it, but that's another argument for another time. No, no, no. I would say that Cassidy lost that. I am far from the world's biggest Tuka Rast fan. I think he played average hockey, which – usually isn't good enough to win a cup, but I, I, I would, I put the majority of the blame for that cup loss squarely on Bruce Cassidy. We've had that discussion. Yeah, I know. And, and I do believe it. I just, I mean, even looking at the no trade clauses, I mean, Braden Shen, um, submits a 15 team, no trade clause. So that's still 16 teams you can trade him to. But that doesn't start until July 1st of 2025. Pavel Buchnevich, 12-3, no trade list. And Brandon Saad, starting in the 25-26, uh, 12-team, no trade list. That means that basically all your forwards can be moved somewhere. Yes, but they're not moving the ones that people want. Kairu's not going anywhere. Robert Thomas, not going anywhere. If you're 23 and 24 years old, you'd be insane to trade them. I understand that. That's what Which I'm saying. It doesn't mean that people wouldn't want uh, Pavlovich or Braden Shen or – Do people want Brandon Saad? I don't think so. You don't always trade everyone you want to get rid of. But certainly not all. <laughs> but, I mean, you're talking about Braden Shen like he's – or Pavlovich and Evich like he's old news. He's still at a point per game this season and is only a minus one on an atrocious team. Okay. Atrocious might be a slight overstep, but even last season, he was over a point per game at 76 with 30 goals in 73 games. It's – I have for a run for the playoffs uh, and towards the cup. Like, if you – he plays both wings, 6'3", He's not a – the thing is he's not a rental. If you're trading for him, he's still got two more years on his contract at 5.8 mil per. That's not a huge contract. 
No, it's. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's huge. I'm just saying it, it, he's I, got he's got term, which means you're going to be a giving up more for him because you're going to get him for longer. I mean, Braden Chen is harder to move if you ask me. Um, he's. Well, yeah, his contract is through. What is that phrase you like to use? The heat death of the universe, which Thank is <laughs> he's 31. His contract runs through the end of the 27-28 season, um, which makes complete sense. I I I couldn't I couldn't take that contract on if I'm the GM. Uh, not the full contract. Uh, nope. If, if they wanted to retain a portion of it. Like the uh, last, th- like the last three years. Can you just retain the last three years of his contract, please? Thank you. <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is you'll take him for uh, two and a half years and then trade him back when he gets old. Yes. Um. Do you have an argument for that? Seriously? Yeah, the salary cap doesn't work that way. Neither does the CBA. Oh damn. I just I, – I, I honestly think that I – think, think, I think St. Louis is in – this is a tough – they're not – they're obviously not making the playoffs. I don't know that they're set up for success next season or the, after either. They're not – I think this team needs an earth-shattering kaboom. I would have made the earth-shattering kaboom as soon as they won the cup or maybe the season after. They they won – I would have hung on to Villa Huso, but that's just my They own. won on a fluke. They were not a good team. They had a good run. They ran, they ran into a very cold head coach. <laughs> they ran into a very – never mind. Yeah, next. <laughs> your question. Uh, your number two. My number two. Oh, you like that question. Okay. <clears throat> it's kind of a – Double-sided coin here because they're they're can Colorado get into the playoffs and or will Edmonton hold on to their current playoff spot? Um, I think the answer to both is honestly yes. I mean, right now today, um, Edmonton is in the Edmonton is in minutes the, before the Winter Classic is supposed to start. Edmonton is in the second wild card spot. They have, they are, they have 41, uh, 42 points. They're a plus nine in goal differential. Colorado is one place out of that second wild card spot. They have 41 points and they're plus four. They have indeed played three less games. Yes. So if you want to, what, grant them. They have a better win percentage. The win percentage is probably the defining barrier here, I I would say, since they're not playing the same number of games. I honestly think Colorado still slips in. I don't think Edmonton makes the playoffs. I'm sorry. They're not showing me anything that tells me that they – yes, we've got this great goal scorer and we've got his – his one B, you know, he's not a one. He's he's not Robin. He's a one. He's a one B or whatever. You've got Leon Dreisaitl. I love it. They've got Darnell Nurse. As they've been for I don't know how long, they are a collection of talent. It's not a team. They don't have. 
they don't have enough defense. They don't have enough good defense. And they traded away Ethan Bear. Why? I don't understand that. Their goaltending is outside of Stuart Skinner. And I don't know. Does Stuart, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. His numbers were. Hey, he's got a 917 save percentage. Can't argue with that. His 2.78 goals against is not strong. But then again, if that's what you consider a team stat, then the team's still not good in front of him. And Jack Campbell, who they went and grabbed from Toronto because Toronto decided that Matt Murray was a better option. What is it with what is it with the Canadians and their goaltending? Ah, Markstrom is like the best. No, I'm sorry. Markstrom and or Hellebuck are the best goaltenders in Canada. (sighs) Yes. And? But I don't get it. No, I don't see Edmonton making the playoffs. I think that they're going to miss it. And I do believe that Colorado, as they get healthy. What's that? I'm pretty sure Evander Kane is not back on the ice yet. That's true. That's very true. The 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 X factor, I guess. And we know how well he and uh, McDavid played together last year. They did. They did. And I think if you give four weeks for Kane to hit his stride, and he should be back soon. Um, he was skating with the team at the start of last month. Um. I think if he's back by the trade deadline, they're going to make it, which means someone falls out. Because I, mean, I do think that I do we, think that both teams make it. I think that Colorado, now that they're getting healthier, um, McKinnon just came back. Um, I mean, Colorado could easily push Minnesota out. They're only three points behind now. And they do have those games in hand, which I know you love. Um, and, you know, they, yes, they still have Landeskog out, and he's a big, big piece of that team. But they're so much healthier than they were a month or two ago, you know, when Boston played them and uh, when they had literally half of their opening night roster on injured reserve. Oh my goodness! Uh, I mean, they were fielding. They were fielding an AHL team, for Christ's sake. Generously fielding. Uh, I mean, just looking at the last couple of weeks, Martin Kaut was uh, cleared to play today, as was Darren Helm. Nathan McKinnon was cleared on December 31st. Um, Andrew Cogliano was cleared on December 27th, as was Pavel Francis. Um Curtis McDermott came back on the 18th. They were they were hurting a lot. Um, give these guys a week and a half to get uh, to get back to you know seventy five eighty five percent of game speed, mm-hmm. and they're in good shape. Yes, they're still missing uh, Josh Manson and Bowen Byram. Those are not ever players to be discounted. Um, Bowen, and as we mentioned. I feel bad for Bowen Byram. He suffers with migraines, and it's just a – it's, it's not a pretty. It's not a pretty thing because they're just they're, – they're unpredictable. 
And as we mentioned, Landis Gog, who's their captain, is still out. Uh, I haven't looked recently to see when he's due back, but he's a game changer. He's an impact player. Um, so I guess we're going to have to agree that you're wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure how you get to that particular uh, Just decision. Just by paying attention. But it's it's incorrect. You are incorrect. It, this is not just because they're going to make it in. You have to have somebody that they're going to boot out. And their I goaltending is so much better than Edmonton's. I mean, Georgiev, 9-15. Their backup, Franco's 9-13. Campbell is horrible. I mean, Jonas Johansson has, has popped in for one game. It made a whole seven saves. Got perfect record right now. <laughs> I just I think that the, I think that Colorado is a more well-rounded team, and I think that Edmonton relies too much on its goal scoring and doesn't have enough depth at defense. Their goals, their goals, their their goaltending is questionable, except for Skinner, and I don't know that they can recover. I do so like Ed, Evander Kane. I do like Evander Kane, but you're relying on you're relying on one person coming back. Colorado mm-hmm. had their top goal scorer their captain and a bunch of others who are now coming back healthy. I just will agree to disagree that you're wrong and I'm right because I am. Uh, whatever you say. Thank you. So last year, a guy who I may or may not have mentioned once or twice this year, um, once or twice, uh, since the start of this, uh, (laughs) hockey season, uh, huh. Had 38 goals in 68 games last year, and everyone was calling it a breakout season, a career year. Just oh, your gosh, this is unpredictable. Even though I said um, a couple of years back, I want that guy on my team. I'm, I'm, I'm getting comfortable over here. Keep going. Um, this year, the <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona born, uh, six foot and a lot, mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo Sabre. Has 27 goals in 35 games. Yeah, he's all right. He's got 51 points in those 35 games. He went from a minus 17 last year to a plus 12 team on this year, despite the fact that the team is still uh, miles and miles from the playoffs. I am, of course, talking about Tage Thompson. I know it's an unfamiliar name uh, to many, many people who listen to our show. Um and yes, the Buffalo Sabers are still what is it sixth in the fifth in the uh, fifth in the Atlantic. Terrible. And they're they're actually over five hundred this year. Not but only are they, they over have, but they do have Ugo Pekalukin and so. Not only are they over five hundred, they're the highest scoring team in the NHL, which which mostly covers up the fact that their goaltending uh, and team defense leave a lot to be desired. And when I say leave a lot to be desired, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are second behind the Boston Bruins in goals allowed with a 12-goal margin. Um, the the Buffalo Sabres are, let's see, 28 goals worse in games played, uh, in goals allowed, in two games less. It is funny to see a team out of the playoffs with a plus-20 goal differential. If they could defend at even a league average, they would win the cup this year. Somebody vaguely resembling myself argues this all the time. Okay. 
like, but my question is mm-hmm. 27 goals, 35 games. Yeah. Given how much of a grind those meaningless games get to be towards the end of this month and then through the end of the regular season, can Tage Thompson actually still hit 60 games, 60 goals? Can he hit 60 goals? This year. Seven. He needs thirty. He needs thirty-three goals to get there. In the final fifty-something games, yeah. In the final forty. Well, forty-eight games or so. Thirty-three and forty-eight. It's tight. It, it it's doable, but you're not leaving a whole lot of room for a, even a three or four game slump. Could you know? Completely throw it off. Is it doable? Is it doable? Yes, it is doable. Is it high high percentage of likelihood? I'm going to say it's probably somewhere in the 65 to 70 percent range. If I had to put a an actual number to it, I don't. It's doable. I don't think it's going to happen. See, I. It's like saying is is Jason Robertson going to get there? And as weird as it sounds, I'm going to have to say that I give that not uh, that when I look at the odds of him landing at 50 or the odds of him landing at 70 goals before the end of the season, I have to put the two of them at roughly equal. I think they're both lower than the odds that he will hit 60. But given what he's done so far this year, and given that he will be going up against teams who have already given up. And just a hunch, given the way that the Buffalo Sabres play against the Boston Bruins, I think that they're going to enjoy playing spoiler and derailing and attempting to derail teams ahead of them. I think the Bruins are going to season. I think the Bruins at the end of the season are going to be happy that they don't have to play Buffalo in the first round of the playoffs. They're probably already happy they don't have to play Buffalo or Ottawa in the first round. (laughs) (laughs) Or Ottawa. Yes, I should have included them. Or Ottawa. These are ridiculously fast, ridiculously agile, and play 100 and give 110% against them. Yes, so, to both of those things, and and they are so glad they don't have to play them because it, it it's not pretty when they get together. It for whatever it, they they just well, it's the it's the one it's the one barrier that the Bruins seem to have to getting past them is they don't have the speed. Yes, they have players that are fast. They have DeBrusque. But Frederick also, is somewhat fat, but. Overall team speed of both Buffalo and Ottawa? It's obscene. Yeah. They say styles make fights, and this is one of the players who I am ecstatic about being in the league. Oh, no. I succeeding so well because for the last, like, seven, eight years, certainly, we've been – all we've been hearing about are Johnny Goudreau and Brad Marchand size players – when was the last player to come into the league 
over like 210, 215 pounds that the league actually got excited about. The league, the media, the fans. And state, like, maybe in a way, Milan Lucic. Uh, that's exactly the name I was about to say, Milan Lucic. But in the last 10 Eric years. Eric Lindros. No, no. In the last 10 years, I can't think of a single large yeah. guy, like big body player. Not really. Certainly not at forward. But There's then again, nothing. that same that same intermission, when they were talking, they were talking, Yandel or one of them said that, or maybe it was talking, one of them said that the league's changing, you know, the, the, it's getting smaller. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's getting bigger. But actually, when you think about it, you get all these guys that are getting drafted that are 5'9", 5'10", 165, 170. Yeah, they bulk up a little bit, but they're never coming close to 200. Yeah, I mean, you look at Jacob Truba. He's probably got the biggest reputation for big clean-out hits that are borderline or worse. And he's only 6'3", 203. He's basically the same size as Patrice Bergeron. When Patrice Bergeron came into the league, they were talking about him being a little undersized. Um, and I would love to see that greater variety of physical specimens. I want to see more Dustin Bufflins and Zdeno Charas and Tage Thompsons as much as I want to see more Brad well, Marchands and Mark Savards and... I want to see more Joe Thorntons, and I want to see more. I want to see more guys in the middle. You know that. If that's the case. We need to see Kirby Doc do better. We need to see. Is Kirby Doc again tall, thin kid? Patrick Line, Blake Wheeler. Uh, you know these. Blake Wheeler has basically been the banner bearer for big forwards who were successful in the league for the last few years, and he's stuck up in Winnipeg. <laughs> I like the way you put that. He's stuck in Winnipeg. Okay. And your number one question. Uh, well, I figured since you were going to go with your Wubby, I'd go with my current Wubby. Uh, I thought so. Was I was listening to. Uh, I was listening to somewhere, somewhere on the or reading something. I don't remember where I found it, but. Uh, Linus Allmark currently is the triple crown holder in the NHL. He's got the best goals against average. He's got the most wins. He's got the lowest save. He's got the highest save percentage. Uh, he is in line to get a Vesna, barring a complete falling off the cliff. But they, the question is, can he break the Swedish record for all-time win for – Season wins by a Swedish goaltender. The current record holder is no longer with us, unfortunately. His name is Pelle Lindbergh. He has 41 wins. I don't remember exactly what year he did it, but currently one season he had 41 wins. He's the record holder. Omar is on pace to get 47 wins this season. Can he break that record? 41? Yeah, I think he's going to do it. If he stays healthy... Given the way that um, the coach leans, uh, distributes the workload, as long as he stays healthy um, and as long as Swayman doesn't turn in like four shutouts in five games and steal the net from him, yeah, 
Not that anyone's going to complain, other than maybe the people looking for the record for Omar, <laughs> if Swayman does turn in four shutouts in five games. You won't hear me complain as much as I as much as I love the fact that Omar has made me look sage. Uh, I won't complain if if Swayman goes on a bender and wins and and has like two or three shutouts in a row or something like that or or gets himself on a nice little win streak because anything that's going to help the team succeed is is fair game in my book. But yeah, I also believe that Omar can break this record. I think that he's going to I I don't know that he's going to get to the 47 mark. I think he's going to finish somewhere in the neighborhood of 42 to 44. Yeah, that, I would say if he gets to 44, that's outstanding. I mean, okay, getting to 41 wins in a regular season, given that you're probably going to play 58 games max, mm-hmm. that's that's all you need to see. Like, that's all you need to see, and that should get uh, him at, at minimum a contract extension pretty soon. Um, my number one question and this one is probably going to push us way over time today because I think that both teams didn't get what they were expecting or didn't get the result that they were expecting. I think they got the players they were expecting, but not necessarily the results mm-hmm. um, from, from looking at the whole package afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Who admits first that their move wasn't exactly what was needed? And corrects first, the Flames or the Panthers? Uh, First of all, neither team is ever going to admit that they made a mistake. Because you don't want to put that that, that stigma, that onus on the players that are involved in the deal. So they're not going to – nobody's going to admit it. Is it actually the player's fault? Because – is it the well, players' fault? Three roster players. Yeah. Two, at least two of which had been there a long time, for one roster player. I'm not blaming the players, but they. You don't want to do anything negative. That you're already, if they're already struggling, as is the case with Florida. Calgary has worked themselves back into third in wherever they are, Pacific, yes. whatever. They're they, five points behind Los Angeles and one point up on Seattle and Edmonton uh, with Seattle having games in hand. Huberdeau's starting to round back. He, and he's, he's not at the level he's, he's been at, but he's at 25 points in 35 games. Uh, Mackenzie Wegar, he, you know, he's a plus three in, in 37 games. He, Which puts him above the team's goal differential. <laughs> You were talking about seeing a team that was outside the playoffs having a plus 20 goal differential. Well, the Los mm -hmm. Angeles Kings are second in the Pacific, and they have a minus six goal differential. That's as as weird as Buffalo being where they are and having a plus 20. (laughs) And this is why I say that both Edmonton and uh, Colorado can climb back in. Because even if Calgary holds place, I think Los Angeles is probably going to start slipping. They played more games than anyone in the West. Uh, actually, anyone in the league. They've played 40 already. Um, no one else has played more than 38 or to, 39. To answer the second part of your question, I think that it's going to be Calgary who's going to 
make any fixes first because they're going to be buyers at the deadline being in the playoff position that they're in. I don't know that Florida is high. I don't know that Florida is close enough to a playoff spot that they can turn this around. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to be sellers, but I just think they're going to kind of stand pat, finish the season and then see what they can do in the offseason. Whereas I think Calgary is actually going to try and fix things at the deadline, which isn't really the right thing to do because you overpay. And but I, I think that what I think you're probably mostly right. It's unfortunate for the Panthers that Hornquist and Duclair, uh, a player we might have mentioned once or twice, are both uh, on long term injured reserve. Um, and that certainly is contributing to some of their struggles. But do we know what he's what his injury is that he's on LTIR? Not sure, but we can we can bring that up next uh, next show. Maybe we can find a way to negotiate a deal. Anyway, um. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you're going to see big moves from Florida over the off season. Off season, yes. I don't think uh, you're going to do anything at the deadline. But I think you. I still think you're going to see a move or two with an eye towards the future um, between now and the trade deadline. Maybe even, well, what happens at the draft, that's uh, not in our purview today. But that, that is the show, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the new year. Have a wonderful week. Uh, We have a couple of other topics that we'll probably cram into next week um, regarding Patrick Kane and his future. And uh, Vegas and Bo Horvat, uh, who seems to be gaining attention league-wide as a trade target. Finally? Finally. Yeah. Um, I've been Team Bo forever. Um, so, yeah. It's Maybe we should have been wishing for his trade and for movement on him to be quiet. <laughs> Uh, I I mean, are the Bruins in a place where they can pull it off is the question. And we'll definitely dial into that next week. But or who? Because I don't I foreshadowing a little bit. I don't know that Vegas can do it. I don't believe so either. But uh, we'll talk about that soon. Absolutely. Have fun. Enjoy the show. Uh, share with your friends. Uh, drop us a line. Uh, easiest places to just comment at two man dot com. Um, or you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Pucksage. He's at The Offwing. Have a great week.